everybody. Welcome back to another episode of D-Pod. So today we're continuing in our alumni series and we have a special guest, Michael Lin, on the podcast today. Hey, Michael. Hello, guys. Hello, David. Hello. Hey, glad you could join us for this. I know, I guess we don't know each other that well personally, you know, because I've sort of interestingly known you from a distance, I guess, or like known of you. Through, through our staff, you know, because, you know, they were friends with you while you were in college here at UChicago. But since then, I mean, you're, as far as I, I can see, your story has kind of taken this turn and and you're like involved, or you know people in our San Jose church now, you're kind of involved in, I guess, like a Kaleo type group there. Is that right? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Like a Kaleo type group. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's a story that kind of spans five years almost. Like, yeah. When I met Noah, it was like my first year at U Chicago, and it took me like five years after that of speaking before I finally made a decision. So yeah, yeah, it's a long story. Yeah, yeah, and I'm so curious to kind of get into that. That's why I wanted to have you on. And it, yeah, I, I'm so curious because a lot of times we don't know really what happens after people leave college. And but in this case, we're able to like talk, and we you're still connected to us. And it was really nice to see you. I remember you dropped by Chicago last year on the way to Noah's wedding and then we had a chance to briefly connect there so anyways looking forward to kind of learning more about your story so maybe could you start off by just introducing yourself what are you doing now where do you live what do you do for work maybe some basic information like that sure yeah so hi I'm Michael I was part of I went to UChicago as class of 2022 I did an applied math and econ major I think my plan was to go into finance but then things sort of took a turn and I went into data science instead so I moved out to Silicon Valley, like South Bay area, back in 2022 after I graduated. I worked as a data scientist. I've been working as a data scientist since then. And then about a few months after I moved out there, I actually had this really interesting thing happen where um, a guy I knew when I was an undergrad, he had been running like this very small like futures trading fund, like systematic futures trading fund. And um, I, he had a, I guess a rough three years during the pandemic not super rough, it was like flat, and he had to leave that, so I ended up actually taking that over, and I've been mm-hmm. running that on the side too, mm-hmm. so I'm, that's also another thing I've been doing, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, yeah, so you, n- you just never went into finance, like, at all? Uh, well, of, I mean, I've been of... doing this, this trading thing on the side, but no, I never oh, okay. worked for like a company, I never worked for like, I never went to a bank or like a head, or like a like an established hedge fund or anything like Got that. It. I mean, okay. This is an established hedge fund, but I didn't work for anybody else's hedge fund. I see, okay, so yeah. you're doing the data science thing, day job, been doing this uh, the hedge funding on the side or the futures yeah mm-hmm. and so yeah. okay wow yeah so that that's that was bu- that's busy i'm sure like <laughs> how many hours a week do you think like that takes or that took i guess yeah oh it really depends so i think i mean i just had a pretty busy stretch because the thing about so i call it a hedge fund but technically it's a commodities trading advisor mm-hmm. really you can just think of it as a hedge fund that trades futures so like an obligation to buy something in the future right right and so I just went through like this audit that happens like it's just like a regulatory audit that happens like every five years or so where like our regulator visits basically every member firm and is okay let's just make sure you're doing things good Mm. and that just wrapped up and yeah the only thing they found was like there were a few like things on our website that I forgot to change Mm. so yeah like the process of them like looking through everything that that was a lot of work okay during times like that it can be like 30 hours or so a week, mm. I would say, but it doesn't need to be that much. Right. I see. If I didn't want. So it's kind of, yeah. kind of seasonal depending on the needs. 
Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then maybe tell us a little bit about like your time at UChicago, just so our listeners can kind of place what kind of person was Michael Lynn when he was at UChicago, right? So, you know, what did you major in? What clubs were you involved in? Things like that. Yeah. Honestly, when I was at UChicago, I feel like I had a bit of a different personality, not going to lie. Mm. Yeah, I was... I wouldn't call myself like a traditional finance bro. I wasn't like that, but it's almost like I wanted to be. And that was sort of just like what I was aiming for. Mm. So I really wanted to, because I went to Chicago. I actually started off as a pre-med, but that lasted not too long because I changed to econ pretty soon. Because I was always like the numbers guy. I really like math. Um, My favorite subject in high school was physics. My favorite class at Chicago still was the honors physics track. I think it's like physics 140s. I Your like, favorite uh, class was the honors physics track? <laughs> I loved it. I oh loved that gosh. class so much. Yeah, I think Dude, you're the I, first I, person I've ever heard say that. <laughs> I wish that wasn't true. I wish more people liked it. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was really cool. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, it, it was great. I loved it. Sometimes I wonder why I didn't major in physics. Maybe because I like money a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. I was all, yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess just being blunt, I was kind of like a greedier person too. I was, I guess a lot of college kids are. Mm. A lot of people go to school like UChicago because they want to make a lot of money. They want to be really successful, want to make a name for themselves. That mm. was definitely me. And so I, I was an econ major. I took on applied math too because after I take, took some statistics classes, I really liked it. So yeah. I added applied math. I mean, like outside, I think like, I did a little bit of, it was called Make New back mm, then. Yeah. I did a lot of work with Noah Kang during mm. my first year when Make New was kind of, I think, starting off in yeah. 2018. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And so he did Course 101 with me. So during my first year, I actually interacted a lot with that. And then it started to move me a little bit because before then, I was frankly like very atheist, I would say. I didn't really have much of a concept of God other than what I heard on social media or through just like classes or like history podcasts I like to listen to, which is not a good representation of God. Mm. It's, and so I talked to Noah about it and he kind of moved the needle a little bit, but then okay. I think I got distracted. And then after that, a lot of what I did extracurricular wise was like, I was part of this like finance club called derivative derivatives group quant trading. I think it's still around. Mm. Yeah. It was like taken off during my time there. So that was really cool. And I don't know if I really did too much else, okay. honestly. Yeah. That's where, like, me at UChicago. Yeah. And so how did you get connected with Noah? So I know some of our current students don't know Noah, but probably heard his name, name a lot. But he's one of the guys who helped plant the Chicago church, which is, yeah, now called Voyage. Back then on campus, it was called Make New. So that's sort of how you, that was the name when you interacted with our group. So, yeah, how did that start? Like, your friendship with Noah? Yeah, yeah, it was actually like super serendipitous. So I met Noah because another friend of mine had been going to, they'd been starting like a SIGEP chapter at mm. Chicago. Oh, yeah. Um, Noah, I don't actually know how Noah got plugged into that, but Noah got plugged into that. That was a brother. I don't actually remember what he was doing, but he was showing up to a lot of events. I, I think, I think they became like, Renaissance members. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, was was through, it was through Jeff B. If you remember Jeff B. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Je- Jeff is like half cousin-in-laws or something with oh no not cousins-in-law oh no yeah that's right like it's like Mm. a distant cousin relationship in-law with with jeff so then they got connected just through that and i think they got involved in the sigep thing yeah oh that makes a lot of sense i didn't know that but it actually makes a lot of sense looking Mm. back on it okay yeah because it was always like jeff that was sort of like oh was connected to okay 
So yeah, Noah was there, and I've been tagging along with. I ended up like joining the frat for a little bit, but then leaving. But it was during that time there that I got connected with Noah, and I think funny enough, like at the time I like. This was a time where the idea of Christianity had been planted in my head, but not seriously. But like, it sort of began this journey. It sort of began this journey that like, I was. It almost felt like I was being pushed along in this sort of I need to discover Christianity journey for not. At first of all, I think it was just me being super curious. Is there something there? And then. I happened to run into Noah. He did Course 101 with me. I think there was just like, like a conversation where he talked about Course 101 as something that happened. And then me, Jeff, and another guy, we were like, you know, we'd be interested in learning. I think that's sort of where it was at the time. It was just like, I'd be interested in learning. I'd read Augustine of Hippo's Confessions in, in a core class, which, by the way, the core is an amazing program. At mm-hmm. You don't really appreciate it as much until you like graduate and you're like, oh, wow, I, was, I had to learn all this really cool stuff and now I have all this really cool knowledge that's yeah. super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So reading Augustine, I think that was actually the first time like I read an actual Christian's writing and a very smart Christian too. Augustine is still at a time where people are figuring this stuff out too. So I think like not everything he says is mainstream today, but a lot of it is. And it sort of opened my eyes to like, oh wait, this is not a mythology. There's like a, there's a real thing going on. Or there's people like Augustine who think there's a real thing going on here. I think that was sort of like my first big I opened it with, like, oh, people like Noah Kane, people like Augustine, people like the members of Make New at the Time Voyage today really think there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. I still don't think there's something going on here, but they seem to really think, genuinely think there's something going on here. So I think that's what really caught my attention. So that's sort of like how I got involved with mm-hmm. Noah. And when you say oh, there's something going on here, are you saying it's, is it, are you saying it's kind of rooted in history? Is like you, cause you kind of compared it to mythology. So it's not just like a story, like with these abstract ideas in a story, but is that what you mean? Like, I guess I'm curious. It's almost yeah. like there's something that actually can be, it's almost, I'm going to go with this analogy, which is, could be heretical, but I'm just going to go with this analogy. <laughs> you know how, like when you learn science in like elementary school science, it's like, this is how, this is the water cycle. These are animals. These are, you're not really learning science. You're almost learning like, I'm going to call it stories, like kind of like stories of science, mm-hmm. right? And it almost feels like just some stories you got to memorize. And that was sort of like me from an outside perspective. That's how I looked at Christianity. It was like almost, I guess put it frankly, like almost like a fairy tale. Like this is mm-hmm. just like a story, just like any other myth, you right. know, Hercules or something like that. And I was like, it's kind of strange, right? just being super frank, actually, because mm-hmm. I also think maybe if, you, if there's speakers listening to this, like it might also help to like, Try to project the way you're probably thinking right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. These are just stories. Right. What's so special about these stories? Why do so many people believe this? Yeah. Uh, I think what actually struck me, though, was that when I read Augustine of Hippo, when I talked to Noah, when I did Course 101, I was like, wait, no, this is not a collection of stories. There's an internally consistent something going on here. Like, you go from, like, the water cycle and, you know, all these little I don't know why the water cycle is the thing that I always remember from <laughs> elementary school <laughs> science. Because I guess yeah. you did it every single year, too. Yeah. <laughs> Learning the laws of physics and going, oh, physics, thermodynamics. Oh, now I can explain the water cycle. Yeah. It's not just a story anymore. It's something I can, it's, that's what happens. Oh, wait, all these stories are not just stories. There's a thing behind them. There's like a system and a structure to them. And I know like different churches sort of have different ways of thinking about like systems versus non-systems in Christianity. Like, I think full disclosure, I tend to lean towards a little more system. I don't mm-hmm. go full system like full Calvinism or full Catholicism, but yeah. I do tend to lean a little more towards system. And it struck me as, oh, there is a system here. Yeah. 
And I think the second thing that struck me is this is the only system of morality that's ever made sense to me, like actual sense to me. So I think that's what really, that's what really caught me, I think. Yeah. Come no, my attention, at least. Yeah, and I think that you're right. I mean, there there is a system. I mean, that's the thing. Like, what, however you want to describe it, how however detailed you want to get into describing it. I mean, there it's. I guess what you call the system is what, from my perspective, another way to view that is that it's just reality. It's just so that it's like a varying levels of reality, right? So, so the various stories that we hear, like all, a lot of them, depict what's true, right? I mean, that's why the these myths and even things like that, like. They, they hold for so long and they have some sway because they have some explanatory power, right? But then when you get into the details of, okay, so what do these stories mean and what are the beliefs that are behind it? Like, the more that actually jives with reality, like, the yeah, like, the more it's going to hold, right? So it's sort of like that, you know, with your how you went down the thermodynamics route, like, it's because that just describes reality. And from my exactly. experience, it's, wow, Christianity, not just the narrative structures, but actually the beliefs and the codification of that that actually makes sense with what i experienced in the world it was my experience as i was sort of seeking to so yeah yeah that's really neat yeah same here yeah yeah like definitely like when i was i think it took me like a long time to finally start actually practicing it mm. like when i really got seeking but when after i moved to california but then i think that was like that's a big part of what convinced you like oh wait this is reality yeah yeah Almost like there was like a curtain that was blocking me from a huge chunk of reality. And I was like, all right, let me try peering through it. Oh, wait, there's another huge, there's a huge chunk of reality I'm not seeing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah. so in terms of your growing up, you said he had an atheist background. So I guess your family, is it just kind of no religion? Like it's sort of not a topic you guys talked about at all growing up. Like what was that like? It's not really a topic we talked about. I grew up in a very scientific household. And so if religion was brought up, it was almost like an atheist way of thinking. If you ever heard Stephen Hawking talk about religion, he's like the way physicists, when physicists meant, because Stephen Hawking was sort of almost like an apologist for atheism. He was like, when physicists talk about God, they talk about, it's almost like he wants to believe in God, but refuses to. It's sort of, I don't know. Well, maybe we're putting words into my parents' mouth. I am putting words in my parents' mouth, mm. but it was more of a logically that makes sense that there is a higher power. Mm. What's sort of the extent that I got to? Yeah. But yeah, no, not a whole lot of like religion ever talked about in my household. So I actually grew up almost, I feel like, I think I've, I had a huge idolatry towards scientific ideas. Like those were my idols. Those were like my lowercase g gods. And it causes a lot of pain when you like make something, when you turn an idol into your god, because it's not, it only explains part of the truth. Mm. And when you try to fracture God into, because the thing is that one of the things that like really dawned on me when I became, this is this actually happened in the past couple of months when I really started becoming a Christian was that like, actually, because for a lot of time I thought science, religion, separate science, religion, science, religion. But then it really started to generally like, no, the same thing, truth. Mm. Like they're actually the same thing. So, but as an idolater of science, I was like, there is science, that is my faith good, and everything else is evil. So, it's almost like you take God, which is this all-loving thing, and you divide him into fake love and fake evil. And that's how the idolatry played out for me. This is really almost, this is sort of like me looking back and thinking about, like, how, because at the time, that's not how I thought. At the time, I thought science is true and this religion stuff is just false. Right. But now looking back, I was like, no, I was actually just like dividing the truth. 
into like false loves and false fears. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, you know, a book that I've been reading recently that I've been telling people about is The Air We Breathe. I don't know if you've heard of that book. It's a, it's a book of, well, you know, the subtitle is how, how we all came to believe in freedom, kindness, progress, and equality. And mm-hmm. the whole premise yeah. of the book is that like Western culture assumes Christianity yeah, and it's sure. taken the it's taken some of the teachings and implications of Christianity that have worked itself out over a couple thousand years now, and then it's real it's adopted those and saying, "Oh, those are good," and then now we've removed Christianity, and, and then people now don't know what to do with that, right? And so, oh, yeah. uh, but one of the chapters, a couple of the chapters, you know, talks about science, right? Because so, and I thought that analysis of history was really interesting, you know. Because that is a very typical way to think about science and religion is sort of they're these separate things. Two separate things. Yeah. But what if they're actually in pursuit of the same thing and they have, you know, just different slices of the pie or different ways of bringing out the truth? So, Oh, I actually really want to talk about something here. So after I became Christian, I think one thing about like becoming Christian, though, is that I feel like you have to commit. One way I heard Tim Keller put this, one of my good friends from high school Eric Michelson, if you're listening to this because I shared it with you, hey, Eric, he show, sent me this, after I became Christian, he sent me this podcast from Tim Keller or this episode of a Tim Keller sermon where he talks about how everybody comes to Christianity for wanting something, mm. almost for a sinful reason, because we're all sinners, right? Mm. Before you become Christian, what you want is sin. You don't want grace. You want sin. And at some point, there's a sin you want that can't be solved by more sin. It requires grace. Um, and so, I mean, there was a lot of things for me, but like, where was I going with this? I actually don't remember where I was going with this. But I mean, okay, that, even though I forgot where I was going with this, that's, that's a thing. I think like you yeah. often come to Christianity because you want something. Yeah. Part of it for me when I moved to California was that like I was actually feeling kind of lonely because I didn't know a whole lot of people here. I was feeling a little depressed. Sort of like a post-college blues kind of thing. Yeah. Like a little bit of a lack of meaning. For some reason, I wanted to connect this with Isaac Newton. I don't remember the connection, but I'm just going to jump. I'm going to make it this discontinuous jump to Isaac Newton. Yeah. But after I became Christian, like Isaac Newton actually, oh, I remember now. So during the Christianization process, you, I feel like you, it's almost, and this could be heresy, but it's almost like you need these like necessary sins to guide you towards grace, I feel right. like. Because if you don't have a conception of God in your mind, you have to somehow put it together from all of your sin, which is not an easy thing to do. I know like when, I've heard that like when C was first being written, like the first real like high level language. I think it's the first real high-level language. It was not easy to put together because there wasn't actually a clear way to put together a high-level language if you didn't have a high-level language. Like today, like Python is written in C or like other languages. The most common version is, is C, Python. Yeah. But, you can, but there's other versions that are written in other languages. But the first high-level language, like how do you put this together? There's no high-level languages. So what I've heard is that they had to do it. It was almost like sharpening one stick with another stick. So like they have two blunt sticks. You take one blunt stick and you kind of like carve out a little bit of one stick and you take mm-hmm. that slightly carved stick and you carve out a little bit of the other stick. And you keep doing that back and forth until you finally have the first pointy edge. And then once you have the first pointy edge, then it becomes simple. Mm-hmm. But it's almost if you have never had grace in your life, you can't understand it. So you have to assemble it from your sins. I don't know if this is... I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I would just, I would probably use different words to describe that reality because yeah. it's sort of... Maybe another way to express it is that what we all want is, let's say what we all want is God, right? So I, and you're using the word grace there, but let's say we, what we all really need is God and God's love. And, but, but we don't know that, nor do we even want that, you know, when we're in sin. And so, but then I think how I experience what you're trying to describe maybe is there's something else that I want that is not God, right? And so that's technically not 
that's technically not right because I should want God, right? Yeah. But what I want is like romantic relationship or what I want mm-hmm. is people to respect me, right? And I go after those things. So then I think that's what you're describing as sin almost. Like I just go after my career and my ambition because that's all I know how to mm-hmm. do. In the pursuit of that, I discover that, oh, well, this is not satisfying me, right? And mm-hmm. and so if I'm, if some people then are able to go from there and maybe they're at that point, they're ready to hear from somebody like, Hey, actually what you're going after, that's not what you actually want. What you actually want is God. Right. And that opens me up to that. Oh, is that what this was this whole time? Right. And it is, and I think it helps you move towards that. Other people, they're not well willing to hear that advice. Right. And so then they, they're going to just then go after some other thing and some other thing. And maybe the one they're like 50 or 60 years old, they were like, okay, this is not working. Right. And we're already at different times, I guess how that specifically works out. But that's how I've seen that play out for me, at least. It's, and I see it in people's lives, right? And I'm trying to tell them, like, and then sometimes the gospel or the, the church, they it actually offers something that they want. It's like friendships. Well, I can get friends in the church. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not God, right? That's not the greatest thing. It's just a yeah. good thing. So and the, so the friendships are not the end all. But, but God uses that. God uses that mm-hmm. to draw us in. And then we realize, oh, from there, it's just one step closer. And, and then I come to actually have that relationship with God. And then f- from there, then I get to experience the blessing because God wants to give us all those good things too. But we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God, right? So after he draws us in, so and maybe in your analogy, it's sort of, we get finally to the pointy stick. From there, like things work out a little bit faster and more smoothly in some yeah, ways. Yeah, once right. you finally have the conception of God. Right, yeah, right, once right. Once you're finally ready to accept him. Yeah, because before that, you're, you're, you're actually, this is another good way of like saying the same thing. It's, yeah, you have you want something else, but in the process of wanting something else, you sort of have to build your way to God. And once you have God, you're like, okay, this is the thing I'm supposed to want. Everything becomes, I feel like though, like, at least for me, like there, when I, when I realized God is what I want, it actually, it was really good for a little bit and then I had this realization, oh, wait, God is what I want, but my entire life I've not wanted God. I need to disassemble so much of the way I've been thinking and mm, doing yeah. to make this a reality that actually there was a little bit. I think I'm just, I've just been coming out of that bit where like it got real tough, mm, um, yeah. like real attack by demons and all. But it was like, it got to a point where I was like, okay, again, the way it was put to me was like, you realize that there did exist a Christ Jesus who was sinless, who was the manifestation of God on earth. Mm. And that's scary because if I need to become, you, can, you can't become that, but you need to become closer to that. Mm. And I need to give up all this stuff. And so there's this inflection point where I was like, I can't kid myself anymore that this isn't the case. But man, is it going to be hard to get there? Mm. And that's sort of where I felt the lowest. And that probably happened like a month ago or so. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I became Christian in like late October. So I've been Christian for like close to three months now. And I think there was like this two-month period where I like, it was almost like, there was almost like a, I, be, I in late October, I was like, okay, I accept this now as truth. Mm. And then realizing the extent to which I had to fix myself to achieve that, made me feel really bad, mm. but it wasn't like, it wasn't, it was less a hopeless bad and more like a, oh crap, this is what I have mm. to do. Yeah. This is an impossible task. And then after an inflection point, it started, 
it started getting better. I was like, okay, I can do this. And I'm still in the I can do this stage. I'm still, yeah. like, digging myself out. Yeah. But, yeah, it really, it's really one of the most powerful transformational things that, like, can ever happen to you when you, like, have that realization, have to go through like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, this is what I got to do kind of phase. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that, man. And for me, and I know that's probably painful, like, even as you revisit, or that's just kind of revisiting the emotions that you went through. Yeah. But for me, that that's really precious. I think what you went through is it's a sign of like genuine conversion. It's a sign of, okay, well, what does this mean? And let me work it out. I actually preached a sermon last quarter. We've been going through the gospel of Luke here in mm-hmm. Chicago. And it was one of the earlier ones in Luke chapter nine. I, I started around Luke chapter nine because I, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that section, but that's, that's the section where in the gospel of Luke, the disciples first confess that Jesus is Christ. They come to this realization. And then from then on, what the gospel writer does is until, like it's all downhill from there, actually. Because then, because then it's Jesus heading towards Jerusalem, and mm-hmm. that being you know symbolic of him heading towards death. And then all of his teachings start to center around judgment and you know what's going to happen in the future and Jesus's need to go die on the cross. And the way that I framed that message was that every believer needs to make two decisions. Because if you look at Luke nine, the first thing that the first question that they had to answer is who is Jesus. And they respond with the right answer, which is the Christ of God. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. And that's really good news, right? So that's sort of like that first decision that you made where you're like, yeah. you're like, yeah, decision. that's right. That's happy. Yeah. That's no, you're the Christ. Mm-hmm. I get it now. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing, though, right? So immediately what he teaches them is, okay, if anyone will come after me, let him take up, him, you know, take up his cross daily. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Right. And so then now it's the implication of what you just said. And that's the hard part. That's the hard part. That's the, okay, yeah. hey, are you willing to, because what I came here to do is I came here to die. And if you're following me, I invite you to join in that process. And, yeah. and so, it's, yeah. so it is exactly what you're saying. It's like this deconstruction of who I am as I deny myself and mm-hmm. then figure out, okay, well, so what does it look like now for me to follow Jesus in a positive sense? And I sense that's like exactly what you're going, you're, you experience that inflection and I'm just telling you now that you're going to experience that inflection over and over yeah, again I'm, I'm in your sure life, right? And but the yeah. way you come to what you come to, I think for me, it's not it doesn't feel dreadful anymore. Actually, you go through that peer process of, a few times, and you realize this is, that is life. That is what life mm-hmm. looks like. It's as I deny myself, and then I and I come out of another realization that well, I haven't denied myself in this area, and then I do that. I know that on the other side of that, other side of that, you know, because we just call that process repentance. So on the other side of that is is times of refreshing, and in the sense that I am walking with the Lord. And so, yeah, I mean, my hope and prayer for you would be that that becomes a familiar experience in your life, and that increasingly it wouldn't become a dreadful experience. It'd be a kind of a hopeful experience every time. So, I think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. I think I hear this, and I'm like, okay, it's almost all right. Got to gird myself for this. It's, this is something I got to do. Yeah, but the first time I went through it, I was like, what the f- is yeah. going on? Yeah. yeah, and it feels slightly discouraging because am I supposed to be experiencing this right now? <laughs> yeah. No, actually, no. I was like, yeah. I think a lot of people had told me this was going to happen, though. They were like, yeah. I think someone told me, like, when I made my decision, I was feeling great. People were like, okay, enjoy this. This is the mountain. What comes next is demons. And I was mm. like, oh, interesting. And yeah. boy, did they hit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, thanks for sharing that. And I, I, I think mm-hmm. that... And the, the theological understanding, though, underneath that, right? Because because we can we know how to describe that from a subjective 
personal experience, right? But theologically, what's mm-hmm. happening is that the Holy Spirit's guiding you through that process. The, the very mm-hmm. reason you're even struggling is because the Holy Spirit's bringing remembrance, like he's causing you to remember the things that Jesus taught. He's convicting yes. you of yes, sin in absolutely. your life. And he's taking it, that's why, right? And so it's, and that's so cool. And I never Holy, thought, I, well, yeah. So theologically, that's what's happening. Like the Holy Spirit's guiding you through that process, right? And, right. And then it says to not quench the work of the Holy Spirit, right? And so to quench mm-hmm. the work of the Holy Spirit would be to like refuse to enter that process because it's, because it feels slightly painful, right? That um, was a really painful point where I was, now that you say that, it's, yes, it did feel like there was like a Holy Spirit almost pushing me through this process. Mm-hmm. But I had these points where I was like, Man, do I want to do like I, I could refuse the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you could. You could. Yeah. Po- yeah, yeah. And, and I was just like, but I can't. Knowing the truth, right? I can't do this. Yeah. And at the time, it was a very weak truth. It's still a pretty weak truth, frankly. I've only been a Christian for three months, mm-hmm. but like when it was really, when it really hit me like a month ago, it was like still a pretty weak truth. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna do this. And that yeah. was, it was like that. I'm gonna do this. That was sort of like this. That was sort of like the nadir of the of that first pain. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, all right, gotta do this. Yeah. yeah. And just to, I mean, since we're on this topic, it's a fascinating topic to me. Like the a verse that's always helped me whenever I have those moments where I'm like, oh, I could refuse to enter into this right now or I can. A verse that's always helped me is from John chapter six. It's, uh, it's you know, after Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then he teaches about like how people need to eat the bread and, you know, eat his flesh. And it's kind of this confusing teaching. And then a lot of people leave. A lot of people refuse to mm-hmm. follow him. And then the disciples, you know, they're like, you know, they're looking around like people are leaving. And so then it says, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's been my yeah. experience. I'm like, okay, I mean, but like, where am I going to go? You have the like, words yeah, of hurts. eternal that's, life. No, that's, that's actually my thought process. I yeah. was like, man, this hurts. But what else can I do? Yeah. <laughs> that's actually what happened. Yeah. And I think it was like, me realizing what else can I do? That's when it finally started. That's when... It cracked and it started getting mm. better. Yeah, it was like pushing me towards that realization. Nothing else I really can do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's neat, man. It's neat to hear that you're experiencing that. And I'm glad you're experiencing it early on. Mm. I think it'll set the right trajectory for you as you go through that. So, yeah. Yeah, so let's get into some of the, yeah, I'm curious what happened, I guess, as you came out of college, I know that there was sort of a turning point, kind of new thoughts that he had. So, so what happened there? Like, where were you spiritually coming out of college? What caused you to mm-hmm. seek again? Uh, tell us some of that story. Yeah, I think what happened is towards the end of college, I, I had done Course 101, and I almost softly rejected it, actually, to be honest with you. Mm. Like, the first time I did it, I kind of rejected it. And then I talked to Noah on and off for the next three years of college. So I did course one one during my first and for the next year I kinda of talked to Noah like on and off, but I kinda of got distracted by other things like career and stuff like that and like recruiting and stuff like that. Classes. I think I started kidding myself though that I was a more spiritual person hmm. because I had done course one oh one, almost in a pharisaic type way. Oh interesting. Yeah, but then after that I then I kidded myself into thinking that I was more spiritual and that I don't know why I thought this, but it was like I, I had all I needed and everything else I could just figure out on my own, um, which is not true. But then what happens after I graduated, I had a bit of a quarter-life crisis when I moved to California because like, I didn't actually know a whole lot of people here. I started my career. It was a good career, but it wasn't giving me the satisfaction I thought it would when I was in college. And so I'm laying a lot of negative stuff on here. But yeah, just what happened was that 
immense dissatisfaction. Also, there were some like negative events in like my childhood that really started to memories of those really started to bubble up too mm. during that time, and so it became like this real, real tough time. And at one point, I remembered I was also hanging out with a lot of atheistic people too, and so. It sort of started deconstructing what a lot of, like, I had learned from Noah, even though I had, like, sort of softly rejected it, but, like, it deconstructed it more. And I get this point where I was like, okay, I actually know that Noah's in the Bay Area. So I reached out to Noah again because he had moved back to the Bay Area during, right. I think, while I was undergrad. Yeah, so I actually reached out to Noah again. I was like, hey, we haven't talked in, like, a while, but now I actually kind of want to take this seriously. Mm. I still was skeptical. I think I was very weakly theist at that point. I was like... I kind of feel like there's some truth to God, but I don't know, but maybe there kind of, there might be. And so it was enough to be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to listen again to what Noah and I forgot what we were called before Acts 2 Network, but what Acts 2 Network yeah. has to say about this. Yeah. And so that happened. And I got connected with Jeff Liu, who's based out of Stanford, he runs his ministry at Stanford. And I started going to like his sermons. And it's what crazy. year, do you remember what year was, the, just so I can place it like chronologically in my mind? Like It was almost like exactly one year ago. Oh, uh, okay. So I talked to Jeff Lee the first time. I, was, it, I remember it was January 25th, 2023. Oh, okay. Um, wow. okay. And I actually memorized the date. I actually memorized a lot of these dates because even at the time, I just felt like, at that point, I sort of got this feeling that like I was going to become Christian. Oh, interesting. But, wow. mm. Yeah, there was, I think if the Holy Spirit latched onto me, it latched onto me around December of 2022. Oh, okay. Well. And started pushing me. And so I had this feeling that, like, all right, this is. I was going to become Christian, but, you know, I had all these, like, barriers in my head about uh, just, like, different mental blockages. So I needed to get those sorted out. So I went to Jeff Liu, and it's kind of interesting because his sermons and also some, like, other sermons that, like, we were part of when. He wasn't giving the message. They sort of started to track. It's kind of, it could be coincidence, but it's kind of ominous, like how much they tracked my thought process, hmm. which is crazy. They kind of stopped tracking my thought process exactly, which is interesting. But like for a good chunk <laughs> there, it was actually kind of tracking my thought hmm. process. And it really started like pushing me to disentangle all of these resistances that I had hmm. to believing. And it took about a year of going to these sermons, talking to people. I got, what's, the guy, I, there was this book, Reasonable Faith. I can't remember. Um, William Craig? Or? William Lane Craig, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I started reading Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig. Mm. That actually helped a lot with someone like, like the apologetic side of things. Mm. And so that sort of started to disentangle a lot of the logical barriers I had. But there's also this emotional side. And a lot of that was being blocked actually by these negative experiences I had in my childhood. Mm. And I actually, I think I had to like confront those negative experiences to really free up the idea that God could be good and personal. I think both of those things, but God is good and God is personal. And so I think looking back on it, it might have actually been those negative childhood experiences that caused me to really put my faith in something not God. Oh, uh, a false faith in something that's not God. And having to first disentangle those false faiths, then to realize these negative experiences were the source, then to tackle those negative experiences, then to realize God is a solution to these negative experiences. And so, yeah, I think that was sort of like that year. Like the entire idea of 2023 was sort of like that 
journey. Hmm. And then by the end of it, in October, it was actually October 25th. Ah, okay. I, it's either October 22nd or October 25th I made my decision. And I say it because there were almost like two different decisions, like a personal decision I made on 22nd and then a more interpersonal decision I made with Jeff Liu on the 25th oh, of October. Yeah, yeah, So either of those days really could count, I suppose. Wow. Yeah, so that's what happened after I left you, Chicago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's neat. So, so there's the intellectual side that was happening, but then, yeah, like you talked about this kind of, there's this emotional, more personal barrier to faith. Yeah. That, that's a very common, that's a very common experience uh, for various reasons why people don't want, don't want it. Right. It's exactly. maybe not even an intellectual issue or like just have issues with it. Can't, I guess their heart is kind of closed or something like that. that I mean, wh- whatever you, yeah, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, I, I'm curious, like how you dealt with some of that. Cause I know you said you had to kind of, I guess, face it or confront it. Yeah. Again, so what, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, but just curious what that looked like for you, like in terms of, cause the intellectual thing is, I think is easier for me to imagine, you know, you're talking to people, you're reading reasonable faith and, you know, yeah, coming exactly. to these realizations. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, all these, like, you know, Kalam cosmological argument, all of a sudden, like, oh, wait, well, yeah. Yeah, so that makes sense. Began. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, I think the reason I put so much faith in, like, intellectual arguments against God is because I had this personal, mm. this, like, personal energy, this energy from, like, bad personal experience that was masking God and mm. directing that energy towards. Actually, this analogy I came up with the other day was that imagine, like, you're, you're like this body of fresh water that needs to flow to the ocean, and the ocean is God. Mm. All right. And there's this huge dam in the way. All right. This huge dam is blocking the water from flowing to the ocean. All right. So you got to, and it's, you can either try to break the dam or to get release the water, you can carve little tributaries around mm. to try to get water out of like that spot. Right. You got to try to drain this spot. But for a while, for a long time, I like this car, these carving these false tributaries kind of worked. Mm. They were releasing the tension. But at some point, like, I ran out of places where I could channel the water. Mm, it started to like, fester a little bit because, you know, it forms a little swamp. There's a fester. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you get some algae and, growth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the water's not moving anymore. Yeah. So it's, oh man, this is nasty. And, and like, you can still try to like, you can still engineer like some like little more channels for a little bit, but at some point you gotta be like, okay, this ain't gonna work. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe let's try that dam again. Um, try breaking it. So I, I use this analogy because those tributaries are sort of like the, intellectual arguments I had against God mm. that were temporary solutions. But the real solution was I gotta break this dam mm. and let it all flow to the ocean. The analogy, yeah, was, I guess realizing kind of get back to our earlier point that like what I'm actually seeking is God. Mm. And up until now I've kind of just been running away from God mm. as the solution to my problems. But that's really just like a palliation. It's, it makes me feel better in the moment, but it doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. 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 And so did you, like, were you, I guess, talking to Jeff and stuff during that time? Or what was, like, helpful for you in terms of dealing with some of those emotional barriers that you had? It's interesting. I did both, like, secular therapy and talking to Jeff, like, on an okay. almost weekly basis at the same time. Got it. And it actually was interesting, too, is that when I was doing the secular therapy, like, I did explicitly secular therapy because I, I still wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, secular, there's a lot of great stuff that you can get out of, like, secular therapy, too. But I did realize at some point that... There's some therapy which is like helping you to. I think what had to happen was that like I started to realize that it almost all started coming back to the gospel. Mm. It was a weird thing. Like I started seeing the gospel in the therapy. 
mm. is what happened. Oh, wow. uh, in different mm. terms, in different words, in different ways, but it was all, I kept hearing seeing these echoes of the gospel in it. Mm. And so it all kept coming back to what I was talking to Jeff about. And then I remember having this like really deep conversation with Jeff about actually like, those negative experiences. And that actually, I think what happens on the 22nd, I, had to, I made a decision that I was going to talk to Jeff. And so I kind of made a decision like, all right, I'm going to demolish this dam. Mm. And then on the 25th of October, I like, all right, I talked to Jeff and that broke the first chunk away from the dam. Oh, wow. Yeah. And do you think that had to do with just talking about it with somebody or, and then was it like, or was it like Jeff saying something to you that really helped or maybe both, I guess, but yeah, I don't know. It was both. It yeah, was yeah. both. Yeah. I think the first was like talking to someone cause I hadn't talked to anybody about it. I see. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't talked to anybody about it. And then when it did happen, he could say some things that helped. And I think that's when I realized that again, going back to our early thing that God is the solution. And I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's let this thing happen. Well, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah. And I really want to share that because I feel like there's probably people mm. listening to this who have this, a very similar thing yeah. going on. It's really hard because especially if you haven't, again, going back to my early, if you have never conceptualized God properly, right? Because I think, I think like no one has a perfect understanding of God. Mm. Everyone's understanding of God is imperfect, but yeah. you probably had no understanding of God. Um, and you got to build it, which is hard but doable. And the reward when you do it is extremely strong. But you got to, I don't know, you got to put in the legwork to build it. And it also does seem ridiculous. A lot of what, like, even probably what we're saying this podcast might seem ridiculous if, like, you, the, the first time you hear it. But yeah. what I have to say about that is that, like, in my experience, a lot of times if something sounds ridiculous, if I have a strong emotion against something because I'm like, oh, that sounds ridiculous. It doesn't really jive with times where I actually know that something's ridiculous. If you tell me one plus one equals three, I don't have a strong emotion against that. I'm just like, that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but so like, if you have a strong emotional response, that could be speaking to something else happening underneath the surface. Exactly. Or, There's yeah, something yeah, else yeah. happening underneath that's causing a strong emotion. Yeah, that's what I'm getting to. Oh, that's interesting yeah, insight. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, I noticed that for me. It's like when I have a strong emotion, it's like, now I actually do that on purpose. If I have a strong emotion against it, I'm like, all right, what's going on here? What's yeah. causing this? Uh, I should probably look yeah. into this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I don't get strong emotions about math. Right, because like I just know it's true. <laughs> it's just true or it's not, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And maybe yeah. it has something to do with the fact that math is not personally involving, but these kinds of that's true. The, that's the, true. the topics around spirituality often are spiritually involving, right? It like says something about or implies well, something I, about I would also you. Say that, like, yeah. As I get closer to the truth, I also get less emotional about religion, and it's more of a genuine feeling. I would say it's like a more it's a confidence rather than an emotion that builds up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Like it's kind of interesting because, you know, we all carry, you know, different brokenness and things in our, from our past and some more than others. Right. And it's incredibly, you know, we encourage people to, you know, get therapy and things like that, mm-hmm. that are appropriate to what their experience is. And, and then I, I think your experience is interesting because you, you had that, the help of that, and then you had the help of, and you kind of opened yourself up to, a spiritual mentor or someone who could hear you out as well as to maybe pray for you, give you advice from kind of a Christian perspective. And I think 
the joining of those worlds together is really powerful. And I, I, I love your insight about like how you saw the gospel in even maybe what the therapist was trying to do in your life. Yeah. So yeah, that that's really neat. And that, that goes back to what you know, I was talking about that book where it's like, like a lot of the, it's like, Christian principles, right? Lot, and, yeah, exactly. yeah, and we like, you know, we talk about how like a lot of the best movies like are basically they just steal the gospel, you know? It's, yeah, they're like the gospel, yeah, right? Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> Iron Man needs to die in order for, you know, for to defeat Thanos or whatever. It's yeah, that. Star Wars, right? Like, yeah. yeah. That, uh, those themes are always there. So yeah. that's pretty interesting. Two cool things. Uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but two cool things yeah. that like I feel like could be, especially for you Chicagoans, because like, there's a lot of econ majors out there. Oh, yeah. I know like in, if in your social class, you may have heard that you, I'm sure, like, a lot of people have heard of, and if you haven't, there's, um, The Protestant Ethic is, like, a book that was published in the 1800s, basically showing, looking back at the Industrial Revolution and why it happened and basically tracing it to Protestant Christianity. Yeah. And I think, I've been told, don't quote me on this, but I've been told that there's this, like, assertion he makes that, like, Christianity is the hollow, capitalism is the hollow shell of Christianity, hmm. because what Christianity does is it almost creates, like, a system where you're high productivity, low consumption mm. and capitalism, basically like these high productivity, low consumption societies, like in England, Netherlands, Northern Germany, were so innovative and productive mm. that if you didn't believe in God, you had to create some system to explain this. Mm. And so that was capitalism. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So capitalism has a hollow shell of Christianity. But then also like science as we know it today was created from Christianity, actually. Mm. I mean, like, the university system was founded by the Catholic Church. It's a Christian institution. It hasn't, it's since, like, veered away from a Christian institution, but it was yeah, for sure. originally a Christian institution. And modern science, you can really trace to the beginning with Isaac Newton. And Isaac Newton was extremely Christian. Like, he was basically taking geometry and melding it with Christianity and seeing what he could make of it, and that became physics. There's a really neat thing I actually discovered while I was seeking this past year was, like, Actually, science is a Christian institution. Mm. It's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I think you would love that book, The Air We Breathe. It's a fast read. It, that, yeah. That's essentially the exact argument that book is making. And it talks about it talks about those I'll things. Listen to the audio book. That sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it does help me to understand that. Yeah, because like, otherwise, because there's like certain narratives that are told about science that we just take mm-hmm. for granted. But if you actually look at the history of how those institutions actually developed, Right. It was often stemmed by Christians who in this in the case of science, like one reason for that would be because we believe that the world is rational. Like, why do we believe that mm-hmm. the world makes sense? Like, and why do we why is it that we th- our our why brains we, so can understand? Yeah. Like, yeah. why why is it that we understand the world? Like, it's we can describe it in equations. That's so that's such a weird thing. The intelligibility of the universe yeah. is sort of this kind of philosophical topic that's kind of gaining a little bit of traction nowadays, I heard. Yeah, so. I also have this feeling. It's a little more that feeling now because I've also been doing some personal work with this. But I feel like with like physics, we had this revolution around like Newtonian physics, right? All, if you look at Aristotelian physics, it feels almost like it's really just guesswork. It's like, all right, birds <laughs> fly because they have matter that flies and like yeah. fire burns and there's matter that burns. And it's okay, what about catapults? Like, oh, that's too complicated. We could never explain catapults. <laughs> <laughs> but now in like the 21st and the 21st century, catapult, projectiles is the first thing you learn in physics. Yeah. What are the easiest thing to understand? Yeah. What I'm going with this is that I feel like the next frontier for Christianity tackle is biology. And this is my opinion. This yeah. is my opinion. Purely Michael Lynn. Biology is the next science that Christianity has to tackle because right now there's a lot of great things we can do with biology, but it's almost like you could do a lot of great things with Aristotelian physics. You could build like all the great things the Romans built and really Europeans built up until physics. But it's 
almost like we're guessing, and mm. those guesses we can confirm or deny. Mm. That's kind of how biology works. That's a scientific method, right? Mm. Scientific guessing, confirmation, scientific guess, confirmation, scientific guess, confirmation. There's a rule out there. I am 100% confident there is a biological law out there mm. that explains all of this, and it will be found. Yeah. And uh, it'll be cool when we do find it. Because yeah, I mean, that would... Yeah. You know, it's again, it's sort of what we're talking about. If God is real and God is the God of truth and he's the God of creation, mm -hmm. like to discover how all that works out. I mean, there's always the abuses of uh, new knowledge and technology, and but we can't like overly complicate things with that. I mean, to be able to kind of marvel at what it is that God does in the world. I mean, that's my experience of like astrophysics, like I think more than the internal workings of a cell, I'm more interested in personally, like the expansiveness of the universe. And so when I just even just That's read articles, cool right? yeah, articles yeah. on that, I'm like, for me, that causes me to go, dang, what? Like this puny, I'm like this puny human <laughs> and God is God created all this. You know, it's sort of like that. It's sort of a worshipful moment. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I get the same thing. That's also one of the cool things. One of the reasons I really liked this, even before I was Christian, it was Maybe it was because before I was Christian, physics was the closest I got to God. Oh, maybe that. Yeah, I know. When you say physics, it's just, it's really theologically reaffirming. Mm. I feel. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, there are other theories there. I mean, now you have, I mean, there's a reason Einstein was so against having randomness in quantum theory, because it just like smacks in the face of this idea that, I don't know if it does, maybe not everyone thinks so. Maybe there's a way of thinking but yeah, I, I've heard no, that. No, I take it back. I take it back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, but I've heard that in academia, I can't verify this myself, but like I've heard that mm -hmm. in academia, like physicists has the highest number of theists, like, yeah, of the disciplines, yeah. right? So I mean, I think that makes sense just intuitively. Yeah. yeah. So we're nearing an hour now. So I just want to make sure we can keep time here. I just want to end with maybe some of your like reflections around the U Chicago experience. You know, it's always nice to get. And it's kind of cool because you went through the U Chicago experience like not a Christian, right? So a lot of the people I've interviewed so far in the alumni series, you know, they became Christian in college or they grew up in church. So I would appreciate just your reflection on those years, especially now that afterward you became a Christian, I guess. Yeah. Um, so just a few questions like, and you can answer it in however order you want, but like, what do you miss about U Chicago, your U Chicago experience? And then what do you not miss about it okay and then we're going to end with just what's a piece of advice you would give so oh right yeah what i miss and not miss about it is almost like different sides of the same coin mm. which is i miss i don't miss how hard you chicago is it's a really <laughs> tough school yes, hang is. in there guys it's hard <laughs> i know but i also miss like how hard it is because it really pushes you to learn things that i do think my christian experience is more rich because i was forced to learn all of these different things, especially through the core, even through my classes. I think there's this push in education a lot to specialize, become more specialized, more specialized. A lot of schools do that where we don't need to do, you don't need to study history. I mean, but just learn this skill and then you can be like, everyone should just be, you should just become like an AI expert and study all things AI and become like the best AI person possible. Mm. But I mean, I work with, I'm a data scientist. I'm not, I don't do anything super specialized in data science. I'm not on the bleeding edge of anything, but I do think that what I learned in college like the diversity of it has helped a lot. And it also makes your Christian life richer because you're kind of forced to connect everything you learn to Christianity now. And for me, a lot of it's been like reframing things from the Christian lens, from an atheistic lens to a Christian lens, from like a, there's no God in the world is chaotic to no, there's a truth and a structure to the world. And that's how I should be looking at it. So yeah, it's tough, but the toughness is good. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's great.
Yeah. And any advice? What or what advice would you want to give to a Yushkoda Oh, actually, here's an interesting piece of advice. I know, like, when you do P-sets, uh, there's this temptation to get every single problem done. And sometimes you can spend, like, hours working on one problem that you cannot figure <laughs> out. Just give up on that problem, you guys. Like, <laughs> get some sleep. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, no that, I think that's perfect. That's not, it's not deep, but it's very deep. It doesn't sound deep, but it's, it speaks to what is life about. Yeah. what is worth your time actually really interestingly we had a we had a getaway this past weekend and and we had this you know just what's that game the oh do you love your neighbor who you know and just you know people just running into the center and then whoever was in the center had to ask or got asked like an icebreaker question and one of the recent graduates from chicago the question he got asked is all right what do you what advice do you have for your chicago students and the way he blurted out was something like you know, my job never even asked me for my GPA. <laughs> and I was like, that's, yeah, not, so ad- that's not advice. <laughs> but anyways, so I think what he's saying is we put so much effort into like getting every, maximizing every little grade and things like that. But yeah. in the, actually my experience is that they don't care. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. I'll give you brownie points for setting up like till 5 a.m. for solving that one problem. But I'm sorry. Nobody cares. Yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I was joking with people that, yeah. you know, you know, actually, yeah, that's right. What the? Because I had a really good GPA at UC Berkeley. You know, I, it was really mm-hmm. good. No one ever asked for it. <laughs> yeah. Like in my interview, hey, do you want to know my GPA? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you a should. conversation starter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anyways, usually at the end of these, I ask people if they have any questions for me. But I don't know if you if anything comes up like from our conversation. So yeah, I guess what advice do you have for me for somebody who's like in this stage of like their Christian journey? I've been Christian for a, a, maybe a few months now. Yeah. I don't know what comes next. What should I do? Yeah, man. So I, I think it's. I think it's just, it's two things. It's one piece of advice that's internal and one piece of advice that's external. And these are not going to sound revolutionary or anything, but, but really it's, um, just make sure you're regularly spending time in God's word, right? So spiritual disciplines Mm -hmm. would be the first thing. Learn to do that because God, you have to keep allowing God to speak to you. And the main way you do that is, is going to God's word. Right. And so, so trying to be in God's word daily would be my first piece of advice. And because if people do that, then I can rest easy. If people are not going to God's word, then I don't know how God's continuing to speak to them. I don't know how that's going to happen in their life. And then externally, it would be yeah, figuring out ways to, this is practically speaking, like serving the church, loving people. Like, what is that going to look like in your life? So doing, like, I don't have a particular thing in mind because I don't know your context specifically, but like what, just to ask the question, what would that look like? Like, how can I move outward as a result of my faith and allow that to actually express itself in how I relate to people. So that could be relationships within the church. That could be like your non-Christian friends. That could be like maybe someone you need to reconcile with, like something, right? Something in which, so if, as long as you're doing those two things, I feel like that's going to set like a really good pattern in your life. So yeah, those would be, that's what comes to mind right now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'll thanks. Try my best to do that. Yeah. Thanks, Michael, for for taking the time. This was it was really fun to kind of hear your story, and I'm I, hopefully it was helpful for you too, as you're sort of forced to reflect on your story in this verbal yeah. way too. All right. Thanks everybody for joining another episode of D Pod. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Michael. I'm really thankful for how God worked in his life, and looking forward to how he will continue to work. All right. Thanks everybody. Mm-hmm.